Thanks for joining us for the Covenant Living Broadcast with Pastor John Butler of Covenant Life Church, located at 130 Atlantic Avenue in Bremen, Georgia. On today's broadcast, Pastor John Butler speaks from the subject of the three V's of Easter. And now here is today's broadcast. Acts chapter 2, verse 22. Listen to this. This is, uh, this is the Apostle Peter preaching on the day of Pentecost. He said, People of Israel, listen. God publicly endorsed Jesus the Nazarene by doing powerful miracles, wonders, and signs through him, as you well know. But God knew what would happen, and his prearranged plan was carried out when Jesus was betrayed. With the help of lawless Gentiles, you nailed him to a cross and killed him. But God, released him from the horrors of death and raised him back to life for death could not keep him in its grip. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you always have a plan for our good. And God, I thank you that you, from the, from the foundations of the world, that you knew Jesus was going to have to come. And God, I thank you. I thank you that you were willing to send your son God, I thank you for Jesus, for coming and dying on the cross for us, living, living as an example to us, rising again, Lord, so that we could rise with you. We bless your name tonight. Bless your word. Bless the hearers. That we not just be hearers, but we also be doers. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Listen, the scripture we just read is really a summary of the whole gospel in three verses. That was it. If you want to know what the Bible is all about, it's all right there. If you want to know what, uh, why Christians all over the world are celebrating Easter this weekend, it's all right there. All the Old Testament was pointing to it. All of the New Testament is built upon it. And everything that's good and pure and right in the church today is focused on what we just read right there, that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, came to this earth. This earth. He preached the, the, that God wanted to forgive sins and wanted to invite people into His kingdom. He, he healed the sick. He set people free from the chains of their sin and from the influence of the enemy that was trying to wreck them. That, that he did wonders and signs and miracles. He, hey, then He laid down His life for the sins of the whole world so that we might be forgiven buried in a brand new tomb, and then was raised from the dead on the third day by the power of the Holy Spirit so that he would live forevermore because death could not keep him in its grasp. If you want to know what it's all about, that's it right there. That's the gospel message. That's the Easter message right there in those three verses. So when something's this important, though, like, like this is, the message of the gospel, the message of Easter. When something's that important, I mean, there's a, there's a dozen ways to look at it. There are dozens of ways to look at it and categorize it and analyze it and divide it up. But we only have a few minutes together tonight. And so, so I want to look at tonight what I'm calling the three V's of Easter. The three V's of Easter. There, there are three aspects of this incredible, life-changing account that I'd like for us to talk about tonight, if, if that's okay, and I think is going to help us understand and appreciate what this season 
is all about. So if you're ready, we're going to dive into the first one. The first V of Easter is this, the variety at the cross. The variety at the cross. Now here's what I mean by that. There, there are some who will ask, why should I care about something that happened on the other side of the world to a Jewish teacher 2,000 years ago? Why should I care about that? What does that have to do with my life today? It was an isolated religious dispute that arose and was settled in an ancient city, has no bearing on the rest of the world. And yet, when you look back at history, you see that all of history revolves around and hinges around the life, death, resurrection of Jesus Christ. History is measured in the number of years before or after Jesus was born. He was, how could a man who never traveled more than 200 miles from home who had no access to social media or mass media, who never ran for political office, who only had a small group of followers, how could that man have so influenced so many people throughout the ages? And I think part of the, at least in some degree, part of the answer to that has to do with the variety at the cross. Now, most people think of this as a Jewish or a Middle Eastern issue. But I want to point out some things that maybe you haven't, you haven't thought of before. Now, certainly there were Jewish people from the Middle East who were there at the crucifixion, right? But who were the ones who tried and convicted Jesus? It's the Romans, right? The Romans. Now, where is Rome? Geography lesson. Pop test. Where is Rome? It's Italy. And Italy is on the continent of Europe, right? Let me ask you another question. Who carried the cross for Jesus? when he collapsed under the enormous loss of blood and weight of the cross that he sustained even before he was crucified. Who carried the cross? Let me show it to you in Matthew chapter 27. Along the way, there, they came across a man named Simon who was from Cyrene, and the soldiers forced him to carry Jesus' cross. Where's Cyrene? Cyrene is from modern-day Libya, which is on the northern coast of Africa. Who else was present at the crucifixion? Well, besides the Middle Eastern Jews who, who were accusing him and the European soldiers who were executing him and the African man who was carrying the cross for Jesus, the Bible says there were people passing by. I want to show you this in Matthew 27, verse 39. The people passing by shouted abuse, shaking their heads in mockery. Now listen, Roman executions were as much there were as much uh, drama and propaganda as they were execution. See, they weren't done on the backside of a building somewhere to keep everything private. It was done along a major road or highway so that the people who passed by could see what happens when you break Roman law. It was there as a deterrent to crime. And so there were people passing on a very busy road right beside the cross where Jesus hung. And they were passing by as they were making their way from all over Asia to all over Africa so that they could buy and sell and trade. And then there were people from all over Africa who were making their way across Israel to all over Asia so they could do the same thing. So let me put, it, let me put a point on this thing. The crucifixion of Jesus was not a regional issue. It became a global issue because there were people there from every known continent in the world at that time, and they took what they saw and what they felt and what they experienced at the cross back to their home countries, and the influence of Jesus spread. 
say, so what does that mean for us today? Here's what it means. It means that the cross is still for everybody all over the world. Every tribe and every tongue, every race and culture and ethnic group, every socioeconomic class, every political party, every gender, every sexual identity, every homeless person and every business owner, everybody you see at Walmart, everyone, everybody in every town and village and city, in every nation, on every continent, every one of those people is welcome at the cross of Jesus Christ. See, he didn't just die for Middle Eastern Jewish people. He died for everybody, and he welcomes everybody to come to the cross. Amen? Now, along that road that passed right beside the cross that day, it wasn't just people buying and selling, but I'm sure there were blind people and lame people who were there begging for help. There was a married man along that road that day, I'm sure, who was on the way home from a secret rendezvous with another woman. There was a woman uh, along that road, I'm sure, who was tired of being mistreated by the men in her life. There there, There were people there from every walk of life, some stumbling under the influence of alcohol. Every imaginable station in life that you can think of was represented on that road that walked right beside the cross that day. And those people were then and are now Welcome at the cross of Jesus. And that's good news because if they're not welcome, we're not welcome. And not only are they welcome, but they're in desperate need of the sacrifice that Jesus made for them on the cross. Because although there was great variety present and welcome at the cross, the Bible makes it very clear that there is truly only one kind of person, and that's the kind of person who has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. I want to show you to you in Romans chapter 3 and verse 23. It says this, for everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. Romans, in just a few verses before that, still in Romans 3 and 9 and 10, it says, Well then, should we conclude that we, we Jews are better than others? Not at all, for we've already shown that all people, whether Jews or Gentiles, are under the power of sin. And verse 10 puts a very fine point on it that'll hurt your feelings if nobody's ever told you this. The Scripture says, No one's righteous, not even one. Not even one. None of us can come to Jesus on our own merits. We're all in the same boat. We're we're all sinners. Part of the Easter message is that there's great variety at the cross, but it's just a great variety of sinners who are in desperate need of a Savior. And that's why Jesus came in the first place. So there's great variety at the cross. Here's the second V of Easter. The victory... Of the resurrection. The victory of the resurrection. Listen, you you can't escape the image of the cross at Easter. Even though literally the, the resurrection is what Easter is all about, you can't escape the image of the cross. The cross is literally the focus of the entire Bible. See, the Bible begins with the account of, of mankind and the perfection of the Garden of Eden. But within three chapters, man has fallen to temptation to sin, and is dealing with the consequences of his decisions. 
Sin is part of life in this fallen world. And the Old Testament is, is the story of mankind struggling to deal with sin and reestablish a relationship with God by animal sacrifices and by keeping the law. But Jesus came to fulfill the law and to be that perfect once-for-all sacrifice that would take away the sins of the whole world. And the New Testament tells the, that story and helps us understand how it affects and influences every aspect of our lives and our future. You see, the Bible and the story of mankind pivots around the cross. When Jesus died on the cross, the sacrifice for sin was paid by His own blood. Every drop of His blood covered every sin of mankind. Jesus declared that work of redemption was finished on the cross. He literally said, it's finished. It's finished. I did it. I completed it. The sacrifice for sin has been done. But in order for that work to take effect, He didn't just have to die so that we could be forgiven. He had to be raised back to life in the resurrection. And I want to show that to you in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Beginning with verse 12, it says this, But let me tell you this, since we preach that Christ rose from the dead, why are some of you saying there will be no resurrection of the dead? For if there's no resurrection from the dead, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, then all our preaching is useless. Listen, and your faith is also useless. And we apostles would all be lying about God for we have said that God raised Christ from the dead. But that can't be true if there's no resurrection of the dead. And if there's no resurrection of the dead, then Christ has not been raised. And if He hasn't been raised, your faith is useless and you are, you are still guilty of your sins. In that case, all who have died believing in Christ are lost. And if our hope in Christ is only for this life, we're to be more pitied than anyone in the world. But, in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. He is the first of a great harvest of all who have died. Do you see the importance of the resurrection? You see, it's not just the cross. The cross was the precursor to the resurrection. They had to go together in order for the price to be paid and for life to come back to us. See, Jesus came to earth to cancel the death penalty for sin. And to set our relationship right with God so that we can live with Him forever just like He intended from the very beginning. The cross of Jesus was victory over sin, but the resurrection of Jesus was His victory over death. And the end of the chapter says it best. And we only read this at funerals, and I don't know why. But it's just as true today as it is on the, your last day above ground. Then when our dying bodies have been transformed into bodies that will never die, this scripture will be fulfilled. Death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, death, where is your victory? For the sin is the sting that results in death, and the law gives sin its power and then and then the last verse says it but thanks be to god who has overcome all of this through jesus christ the righteous because jesus died and rose again we can now receive the promises 
of eternal life. And I want to show you this, and maybe the most famous verse in the Bible, John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have, look, everlasting life. Notice it didn't say he loved us so much that he gave us Jesus so when we believe in him, we're just forgiven of our sins. There's a promise there. See, we're not just going to die forgiven and then stay in some sort of suspended animation for all of eternity. Because Jesus was raised from the dead, because he died and lives again, then we know we are also going to be raised to life and that we will live with him forever in heaven. The message of Easter is the message of the victory of the resurrection. The victory of the resurrection. Now here's the third V. It's not just about the variety of the cross. It's not just about the victory of the, of the resurrection. Here's the third V. It's also about the value of the Christ. The value of the Christ. Let me ask you a couple questions. How do you see Jesus? What's his value to you? What's he worth in your eyes? See, if you don't understand the value of the Christ, you're never going to understand what Easter's all about. People, people in his day struggled to define his role and his worth and his value. He was standing right there in front of them and they couldn't quite wrap their minds around what he was worth. See, the, the crowd that greeted him at the triumphal entry valued him as a political leader. Let me show you this in Matthew 21, verse 8. Most of the crowd spread their garments on the road ahead of him. Others cut branches from the trees, spread them on the road. Jesus was in the center of the procession. And the people all around him were shouting, Praise God for the Son of David. Blessings on the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Praise God in highest heaven. And the entire city of Jerusalem was in an uproar as he entered. Who is this? They asked. You see, when they praise God for the son of David, many of them were connecting Jesus with King David and expecting him to begin a rebellion, a revolution to overthrow the Roman government. And, and one day Jesus will sit on the throne with Jerusalem as his capital, but at that moment in time he had a higher purpose. So when he didn't meet their expectations for, for this immediate uh, conquering king, he lost all value in their eyes, and they demanded that he be crucified. The Jewish leaders, another group that had a hard time getting a value on Jesus, they valued him only as a religious rival. He was taking the focus off of them. It was hurting their feelings. It was messing up their deal. This is what they said about him when they watched the triumphal entry happen. This is what they said in John chapter 12, verse 19. This lets you see their motive. The Pharisees looked at each other and said, there's nothing we can do. Look, everybody's gone after him. They were jealous. They were jealous of Jesus, and they wanted to get rid of him. In their minds, he was only a troublemaker. That was the only value he had. Roman soldiers didn't, certainly didn't value Jesus, or they'd have never nailed him to the cross. Look at, look at what happened with their experience at the cross. After they nailed him to the cross, they gambled for his clothes by throwing dice. 
And then they sat around and kept guard as he hung there. Can you imagine taking a break while somebody dies behind you? Just sitting around, shooting dice, shooting the breeze. A sign was fastened above Jesus' head announcing the charge against him. It read, this is Jesus, the king of the Jews. Two revolutionaries were crucified with him, one on his right and one on his left. See, Jesus wasn't the only one crucified that day. From the perspective of the Roman soldiers, it was pretty much like any other crucifixion. It's just another day at the office for them. In their eyes, from where they stood, those three crosses up there on that hill, the one in the middle looked pretty much just like the ones on either side. In their minds, just another worthless criminal. Let me ask you again, how do you see Jesus? What's, what's the value of the Christ to you? You see, you fast forward 2,000 years and there's some in our society today, and for them the name of Jesus is just a curse word. Some, he's just a good teacher among many teachers. To some, he's just a God among many gods. He's a path to heaven. Maybe he's a martyr for his beliefs. Maybe he's a misunderstood prophet. Maybe he's a holy man who did good things, but at the end of the day, just a man. But the Bible tells a different story. The Bible tells the story of, of Jesus who was God from the eternity past. Nobody created Him. And, and on the contrary, He was the agent of creation. And through Him, everything in the universe got its start. The Bible teaches us that He came as a human, but He not only was fully human, He was fully God. And as such, He lived a perfect, sinless life on this earth. He wasn't guilty of any crime, of any religious accusation. He did everything exactly as He should have. He loved sinners. He hated sin. He opposed the hypocrites. He ran people out of God's house who were using it for their own personal gain. He welcomed children with open arms. He crossed racial and religious and social and gender boundaries for the advancement of the kingdom. This world may not value Him, but the Bible says that He is the King above all kings and the Lord above all lords, that He has a name above all names. That's the value of the Christ in the Word of God. But again, I ask you tonight, what's the value of Christ? What's He worth to you? I want to show you this in Matthew chapter 13. As I was thinking and praying about this service, this just continued to come back to me over and over again. I just could not get past it. And so I'm going to read you this. The kingdom of heaven, this is Jesus talking, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure that a, a man discovered hidden in a field. In his excitement, he hid it again, sold everything he owned to get enough money to buy the field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant on the lookout for choice pearls when he discovered a pearl of great value he sold everything he owned and bought it listen Jesus is not a worthless criminal he's not a disappointing political leader who missed his chance he's not a blasphemer or a religious rival the word teaches us that he is hidden treasure that he's a pearl of great price 
And when you look at the reactions of the people who found him in the word that we just read, you realize why you have to recognize the value of the Christ. Because when you find Jesus, when he calls to you and invites you to come to him and to join his family, then you have to be willing to give up everything else and go all in with him. Let me show you this in Matthew 16, just a few chapters later. Jesus, again, talking to his disciples, said, Look, if any of you wants to be my follower, you have to turn from your selfish ways, take up your cross, and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you'll lose it. But if you give it up, if you give up your life for my sake, you'll save it. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but you lose your own soul. Is anything worth more than your soul? For the Son of Man will come with His angels in glory, in the glory of His Father, and will judge all people according to their deeds. And I tell you the truth, some standing here right now will not die before they see the Son of Man coming in His kingdom. Listen, salvation is a gift that you receive through repentance. Jesus said you have to turn from your selfish ways. That's repentance. That means you stop living for yourself. You stop doing whatever you think is right. That following Jesus requires that you surrender your decision-making to His Word and to His will. That you don't, you don't get to claim Jesus and still live the way you want to live. That's not how that works. Receiving the free gift of salvation will cost you your former lifestyle. Romans says that old has passed away, that everything becomes new. And then Jesus said you have to take up your cross. That means not only do you stop living for yourself, but you start living for the kingdom. That your motivation becomes serving God. That you, that you, start, you start seeing uh, His kingdom advance. That you start telling others about Him. That you, you're serving others. You're helping others. And that means if you have to give up something in order to do that, then so be it. That's why I said you take up your cross. You die to yourself and to what you want because it's all about Him now. You follow Him. You do what He does. You listen to what He says. And just like Jesus said in that last verse, you have to be willing to give up your life here in order to gain your life there. You say, but John, why in the world would I give up everything for Jesus? Why in the world would I give up what I've got for a man I've never seen? And I'll tell you why. Real simple. Because he's worth it. He's worth it. He's the pearl of great price. He's the hidden treasure. Once you hear his invitation, you, you have to be willing to give up everything in order for the privilege of knowing Christ. Because he's worth it. Listen, if you're struggling with it, let me, let me read you this verse again, verse 26, and hopefully it'll help you put it in perspective. What do, you, what do you benefit if you gain the whole world, but you lose your soul? Is anything more valuable than your soul? Let me ask you this. What's your soul worth to you? Every one of us, and, and I would venture to say, based on the research that I've seen for, for years, 85 to 90% believe in the eternity of the soul. 
They believe there's a God. They believe there's something past this life. That 80 to 90% of everybody who's walking around this earth believes they have a living soul inside of them. So let me ask you, what's your soul worth? What good would it do if you continue to do what you're doing now, if you continue living for yourself, continue making your own decisions, being your own master, but when you die, you miss your chance to live forever with Jesus in heaven? Is it worth losing your soul? Is it worth eternity in hell without Jesus? What's the value of your soul? What's the value of your soul? Jesus came to give you eternal life. Eternal life. He didn't just die on the cross to forgive your sins. He rose from the dead to secure your future with Him in heaven. But if you have to choose, but you, but you have to choose to receive what He's offering. You can choose to refuse it. Because it costs too much. It costs too much of your independence and your self-determination. But listen, there's a steep price to pay for that too. What would you give in exchange for your soul, Jesus asked. The value of Jesus is that He already paid the price for you. The story of Easter is not just the pivot point of history. It's the pivot point of your life. The Father's calling you today to come and join His family. The God of the universe wants to be involved in your everyday life, guiding you through the decisions and the tough times, walking beside you, encouraging you, showing you how much you're worth to Him, helping you find your purpose and your calling. But you have to decide what that's worth to you because salvation is free. But following Jesus will cost you everything because He's worth it. There's great variety at the cross. Room for everybody. He doesn't turn anybody away. And He's given us victory not only over sin, but over death. And He's promised us eternal life with Him through His death and resurrection. But we have to recognize the value of the Christ. Life with Him is worth much, much more than anything we could ever have or ever give up for Him on this earth. So the question for you tonight, the question, the question that your life pivots on is will you surrender yourself to Him tonight? Why don't you stand with me? We pray that you've been blessed and inspired by today's Covenant Living broadcast with Pastor John Butler. You can hear today's message in its entirety by visiting our website at covenantlifewestga.org. You can find this video there on our homepage. Just click the YouTube button and make sure you subscribe to our YouTube channel. Give us a call at 770-537-3747. That's 770-537-3747. At Covenant Life, our mission is to go and make disciples by being real, relational, and reaching. Be sure to join us next week for more Covenant Living with Pastor John Butler.